0: Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel, at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDhelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Welcome, everybody, to our TIF talk today. I'm Andrea Millers. I am the Director of Marketing for Endogastric Solutions um, and the TIFF procedure. I'm happy to welcome Dr. Michael Murray, who's here with us today. He is the Assistant Clinical Professor at University of Nevada, Reno Medical Center. He's also the General Surgeon um, at Northern Nevada Medical Group. So, Welcome, Dr. Murray, and thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you, Henry, for having me.
0: Yeah, so um, we are on Facebook Live, and we're just going to wait a couple of minutes um, and make sure we get a couple of people on. Um, but today, we decided, since we're both you know, remote, um, we are going to do it a little bit differently. We are going to do a Q&A. So um, we have quite a few um, social media platforms, if you will, or, or groups um, that talk about TIFF, the TIF procedure, that have questions about GERD. Um, So today, what we'd like to do is um, take some of those questions that um, we get on these um, group pages and answer them with you today, if you're okay with that.
1: Great. That sounds great.
0: Okay. Um, Wonderful. So you've been doing TIF, let's get a little background. You've been doing TIF for uh, about 10 years now, right?
1: 10 years, my first uh, I, I kind of been with it, uh, for a long time as the device evolves and, uh, as we got more and more data with it and it looks like it's, you know, the data is coming out that looks really good. I have some patients in my practice that are six or seven years and I've pH tested them again and their, their pH tests look really good. So I'm really happy with the device now and I'm happy with the results and the patients have, uh, that have gotten, it happy as well, they do very well with it.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being here with us this afternoon. We appreciate it. So um, one of the, let's let's kind of the, the, the big elephant in the room, if you will. Um, you know, we've seen a couple of questions that have come up about COVID and their GERD symptoms. Um, so let's just kind of like hit that and then let's get straight to that. Um, so some of the questions that have come up, you know, um, one person said, "I just had my TIF procedure on February 13th. Um, does this make us more vulnerable to COVID-19?"
1: Uh, so I don't, wouldn't think that a TIF procedure would make you any more susceptible to COVID-19 uh, than before having a TIF. I mean, no one has immunity to this disease naturally, so you're only going to get immunity as it goes through the population so tiff is just a mechanical valve it creates a high pressure zone down at the lower soft sphincter um I, I think there's no real reason why that should give you any more susceptibility to this virus uh, than normal i think uh, i would suggest getting off ppis sooner because we know that ppis decrease uh do increase infectious rates in the GI tract on almost everything and we know that uh, there are some of these ACE2 receptors in the GI tract and so COVID-2 does have GI tract symptoms so I'm not a big fan at this time with this disease going around of decreasing acid in your stomach acid could certainly denature this organism.
0: Okay interesting so that was the next question actually Um, Someone asked the question, my GERD has significantly gotten worse during these stressful times. Should I up my PPI medication? Do I need to ask my doctor or should I just take it over the counter?
1: Yes, that's hard. So managing stress during these times is really important, uh, I think. This is not going to be something that's going away in two weeks. I think we ought to accept that fact. Uh, this is going to be around for a while. I think it's important to make your body as strong as possible should you get the infection. I'm a big fan of that. In surgery, we do these uh, things called preoperative optimization where we try to get people strong for surgery because we know surgery is a physiologic hit to them. So, and, and so some of the same type of things that we do for that, I'm kind of. For my patients, And then one of those things is we, we try to get people you know, off the PPI's if they have, to have surgery or come into a hospital because they're more prone to get infections. Um, we try to make sure they're nutritionally uh, optimized for any kind of stress. And this is kind of what people should be doing right now. You, you can't just hunker down in a house and hope this thing passes you by. Sooner or right. later, we're all going to probably get exposed to this. So make yourself as strong as possible.
0: Sure. Okay. That's great advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's go ahead and ask some of the questions. I'm going to ask some of the questions that have come up on these um, TIF groups. Um, so first question is, what's the most important thing to avoid in GERD along with hypothyroidism? It's an Interesting question.
1: Yeah. So in terms of GERD, I don't think hypothyroidism is going to affect it too much. I mean the body is a complex integrated system. I mean hypothyroidism will you know increase its own number of stresses on your body. So it should be easy enough if you have hypothyroidism to maintain a a, thyroid level that's in an optimum range. So you should be seeing a you know private medical doctor that's optimizing your range of thyroid medicine to keep what we call your T4 at a good level and your TSH not too high, not too low. So uh, those are the tests you would get to make sure that's at that level. And then the, the usual things for GERD would be not to overeat. Uh, if you're on a medication for the GERD, keep taking that. And uh, otherwise, the usual things they say, keep your bed elevated, don't eat late at night, don't lay down while eating, the usual things like that. But uh, there's no specific thing that, that really relates those two uh, diseases, GERD and, and hypothyroidism. They're both Kind of independent diseases. They both, they both have to be separately.
0: Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, next question is taking allergy medications okay with GERD?
1: Generally so. Uh, it depends on the medications. Uh, you know, in my practice, I am seeing a lot more of these esophageal candidiasis or yeast infections of the esophagus, particularly in people taking natal steroids and things like that. So, Sometimes they come in, they think they have trouble with GERD. It causes a, a burning and, and pain when you swallow sometimes. So that can be a side effect of taking these uh, steroids, uh, the nasal steroids, like na- you know, the nasal cortisone and things like that. But otherwise, generally, it's, it's fine. If you're having a real lot of pain swallowing and things like that, you may need to be evaluated stop and stop your candidiasis. candidized.
0: Okay, that's interesting. That's actually a good question because, you know, as... As spring has come, you know, everyone's in with everybody cooped up in house. They're trying to go outside and taking walks and whatnot. So they may confuse allergies with symptoms from COVID yeah, possibly.
1: With a COVID, trying to take, you know, nasal steroids or these things that really depress your immune system. I'm not sure that's a great idea. You right. may have to bear with it a little bit this year.
0: Interesting. Okay. Thank you. So another question. I've been- suffering with gastritis and GERD since November. I've been on protonix, which took the burnout of my chest and stomach, but my throat still feels like there's something in it. Is that normal?
1: Uh, it can be. So the, the higher up you go, uh, in the aerodigestive tract, the more sensitive it is to acid. So it kind of makes sense that if you were having LPR laryngeal pharyngeal reflux, that's the last thing that gets better the gastritis the, and the GI tract cells will turn over in three or four days and you get you know, the gastritis will heal up fairly rapidly the sure. esophagus will heal a little bit slower and then the, the tissue up higher up in the field will last so that's very common for that to happen
0: okay okay uh, okay here's here's one you probably hear all the time for your patients help everything burns in my stomach what do I do
1: <laughs> yeah so If you get to that point where nothing's helping anymore, uh, it's really time just to be assessed. Uh, We know that 25% of the people with reflux are going to get a progressive disease that's going to get beyond what the pills can do. And they're going to need some kind of mechanical fix. We know that. Uh, There's data out to support that. So if, if you're having issues with burning all the time, it's every day, nothing seems to make it better. It's time to get evaluated. I would say that evaluation of, of choice would be an upper endoscopy, get evaluated, see if you have a hiatal hernia, which could be leading to that, and at the same time do a what's called a 48-hour pH test where you implant this little microchip in the esophagus right. and it stays in there for two days and it measures how many times you have reflux and it gives you a pattern of what your reflux looks like, so that's important to us as as physicians who treat reflux to know what's called the phenotype of reflux or or what's happening on a daily basis. So I think that that would be the most important test to get to see where you fall on the spectrum, right? It's a spectrum disease. We know there's not too bad a reflux, and then there's really bad reflux with hiatal hernias and a lot of anatomic issues. You want to know where you are on that spectrum.
0: Yeah. So to that point, um, if a uh, if there's someone out there that's feeling this um, pain all the time, is there a specific doctor that you recommend they go see? Do they need to see a gastroenterologist? Do they come to see you, a general surgeon, their regular um, PCP? What do you recommend? So usually
1: they end up at their PCP and they'll generally get on a PPI. And then they, usually the story is they'll be managed by their PCP for a little while, and then they'll outgrow that, and they'll end up with a GI, it'll take a look, and ended up on Dexalint, uh, which is kind of the strongest PPI there is twice a day, and then that's not working. And then basically, uh, they end up in a GERD center like I have, where nothing's working. I've been through all these processes, and, and I need something different. So then you're looking for a mechanical fix. I mean, it's a mechanical problem we decrease the acid in your stomach to decrease the burn, but it's not always the answer. Sometimes you need to move to some more aggressive approach, whether it's a straight TIF or some hiatal hernia and a fundoplication at the same time.
0: Okay, yeah, that's great. Okay, so next question, um, what is the success rate of the TIF procedure?
1: That's tough because it depends what you consider success. For me, I, I think getting people off of PPI uh, daily is, is success for me. Um, I'm getting more aggressive about testing my patients, doing another pH test after we do the uh, TIF procedure to make sure that I do have solid uh, you know, evidence of acid control. But sure. ma- maintaining them off of their PPI, I think, is, is a win. Every year we learn that the PPIs have a lot more side effects than we initially thought. And so if we can keep you off of those medicines and you can resume a fairly normal lifestyle in terms of your eating, then I think that's a win.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And we just actually got a question on Facebook right now from Rocky. He said, what pills are you referring to and are they only prescription?
1: So no, so uh, the pills I'm referring to are called PPIs or proton pump inhibitors. And uh, those are the ones that you see advertised all the time. Uh, There's a 14.5 billion a year industry in 2010 dollars. Uh, They are available over the counter, almost every one of them is. So the the common one, the first one that came out was Prilosec, Uh, there's Nexium, uh, there's Protonix. These are all over the counter. Uh, You can go into Costco and buy them by the case uh and and treat yourself you don't even need to see a doctor. So when you go see a doctor, generally we up the doses uh and maybe give you some of the stronger medicines that need a prescription, like I was suggesting, Dexalent. Um yeah. there are other medicines that have been out even longer called H2 receptor antagonist. One was just in the new Zantac as being uh, you know a cause of cancer, so it was getting pulled off the market. Uh mm-hmm. the only one in that category that's fairly common is uh PepSid.
0: Mm. Right. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate you answering his question. So, um, does high protein cause more trouble with GERD?
1: It depends. Not necessarily. There are certain, um, things that cause people to have GERD. They're what we call triggers. And some people it's, you know, the classic ones are chocolate may do it or caffeine. Uh, so if someone eats a big steak or something, they may get group GERD and they may be a, a, you know, kind of associating that with the high protein meal, uh, sure. when it's, it may not necessarily be that it may just be that the, the valve is kind of weak. And if you fill your stomach too much, you're going to get reflux. So protein in and of itself, uh, shouldn't cause any issues with, uh, increasing
0: reflux. Right. Uh, we have another question on Facebook from Lynn, how long, uh, Lynn Benoni, how long is it safe to take says decals, too, but I'm assuming she's probably saying how long. Probably uh, she's talking about the um, PPIs, probably, Dexalan, or...
1: We're changing our ways. These were prescribed kind of willy-nilly to anybody with any kind of abdominal complaint. We thought they were very safe, but uh, as it turns out, they cause all kinds of issues in terms of the bacterial flora of your gut. They cause issues with uh, bone loss in women, which is an issue anyway. So calcium absorption is not great with them. Uh, and it's just like, a, you can go onto online and find just, just a ton of things that are, are not great about taking these pills every day. Right? Acid in the stomach is, is a preserved evolutionary thing. Every vertebrate has acid in the stomach. And these pills can be very strong. They stop acid production completely. And it's probably just not a very good idea. There's acid in your stomach for a reason. Just shutting it off is not necessarily that great an idea. There is no really how safe uh, you can take these. There's long-term side effects over time, and you're going to be at risk for them as long as you're taking them. And yeah. so uh, if you have to take them, you should take the minimum dose uh, and, and try to decrease the interval as much as possible to keep your symptoms under control.
0: Perfect. Thank you. We've got another question that's just popped up on Facebook. Has TIF been proven effective for laryngeal or max um, laryngeal pharyngeal? I think they're probably talking about N- L- <laughs> LPR, LPR reflux.
1: <laughs> yes. So yeah, there are studies out there to show that it is great for regurgitation and LPR. Uh, LPRs where you kind of get an acid way up in the back of your throat. And this is usually from episodes of regurgitation. And the pills really are not very good for that. Right? There's other things in the gastric contents other than acid that can cause irritation. There's bile, there's which is a proteolytic enzyme that can be reactivated later and cause kinds of tissue damage. So for, okay. for people with really bad regurgitation and LPR, a mechanical fix is gonna be better generally than the medications.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. So another question here is if you have GERD and a hydro hernia around two centimeters and delayed gastric emptying, T half T half 135 minutes. I think I said that right. Can I get a TIFF procedure?
1: Yes, but you're complex. And so uh it's it's hard I see a lot of patients uh like this who you do the endoscopy and it looks pretty good and there's not a big hiatal hernia there and you're wondering what's going on you do a pH study and they have a really high acid exposure time and those people I'm very suspicious that they have gastroparesis and they're getting this backwash reflux because the stomach's mm-hmm. not working very well it's really important uh, when you study someone you know what's happening in the stomach below the valve And also what's happening in the esophagus above the valve, it is what I call a kinetic chain. You have to understand what's happening in both areas if you're going to really make a difference in this person. So this person with gastroparesis, I don't know why she has gastroparesis. There's three types. You can have it from diabetes, which is the worst. You can have it from previous surgeries that uh, injure the vagus nerve. And the other uh, catch-all group is idiopathic. But it's really important if you're gonna do an anti-reflux procedure on these patients is that you discuss with them the need to not go greater than 270 degrees in okay. the rat because they count on burping and getting gas out of their stomach to maintain comfort levels and you can give them really bad gas bloat. You may wanna address maybe trying to make the stomach empty better with certain medications like metoclopramide or with a pyloroplasty or a G GPO and these other types of procedures. So they, these people, you have to make sure you don't make them worse. Uh, you can fix yeah. their reflux with a TIF, but uh, you have to be careful with them too. So, okay.
0: perfect. Thank you. Uh, next question: What test should you do to know if your hiatal hernia can be treated without incision in the same TIF procedure?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that's a tough one because we know that that hiatus, those two bands called the para count as an internal sphincter on the esophagus. So it's hard to address reflux without addressing that sphincter too. It often becomes dilated and is dysfunctional uh, in addition to lower esophageal sphincter, the, the high pressure zone in the esophagus. So both of these things generally have to be addressed. But if you are one of these patients with a really just a low pressure in the lower esophageal sphincter. And you don't have a big hiatal hernia, which is anything over two centimeters. So a TIF is for someone without a hiatal hernia, a straight TIF. So if you're looking to get a procedure without any incisions whatsoever, your hiatal hernia has to be less than two centimeters. Okay. That's really important because if you try to do the TIF in the face of a hiatal hernia, it's not going to work. It's going to fall apart in a, in a year or two, and you're not going to be happy. And you're just better off. Those four little incisions that it takes to, to fix the hiatus and a minimally invasive approach there.
0: right?
1: Because It's not gonna add very much to the, to the outcome and to the discomfort, but it's gonna add a lot to the overall success of your operation.
0: Okay, great, thank you. So next question is, um, I had the tiff uh, five days ago and it seems like my shoulder pain is getting worse again also, it goes into my neck. Is this normal?
1: Um, so you can get this shoulder pain up into the neck. And, and what that is is called a sign, And it's from irritation of the diaphragm. So even if you had a straight Tiff, and I don't know if this person had a, a hiatal hernia repair at the same time or not. Yeah. But often that's, the same, that's the thing they complain of the most. And I always try to explain that to my patients. They'll generally wake up with that pain in the shoulder. It's kind of surprising to them. They think uh they had a rotator sure. cuff or something like that oh, wow, wow. And, and it'd be fairly intense it generally goes within six to eight hours after the procedure but it can come back and generally that's because you get a little blood or under the diaphragm and that blood causes inflammation mm. and generally my patients i suggest they take a, an anti-inflammatory although i guess we're not supposed to take ibuprofen now with COVID around yeah. so uh generally a, a I would usually have them take two or three ibuprofens uh, with a meal, just once a day uh, okay. for three to four days, and that usually will will take care of it.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, thank you. Does does a do the same thing as NSAID
1: not or? So it's not it's not as successful as a, an anti-inflammatory here. So in okay. those cases, if it's really getting bad and just take a few, a few days of ibuprofen will make that go
0: away. Okay. Perfect. So next question, I had Tiff on Monday, and I'm feeling better each day, just hungry. <laughs> I am lactose intolerant and type one diabetic, so protein shakes, uh, shakes aren't very friendly to these things. Do you have suggestions or examples for diet um, day four through, 4, uh, 4 through 13? <laughs>
1: four through 30, so in my patients, and I don't wanna step on any toes because some doctors do it differently in terms of advancing the diet. I considered, you know, swallowing to be physical therapy for this, stuff. Yes, so I move along faster than, than Asterix has as, as a diet. So in my first week, I keep them on liquids. Uh, it could be any blended liquid. You don't necessarily have to have protein drinks. I mean, you could make your own type of things, any kind of soup that you put into a bullet blend is fine. Um, and then on, like, week two, when I start that, I'll have them do some eggs, if they're hungry, getting some protein like that and some you know, scrambled eggs, mashed potatoes with gravy, even like some mac and cheese, it's really cooked, really soft. So they have something to okay. chew and, and cheese and that'll kind of take away those hunger pangs.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh, this one's, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you get this question ever. <laughs> Does vinegar and honey work for GERD symptoms?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's all kinds of things. people take aloe and and, and there's all this uh, homeopathic stuff out there. some people now take CBD oil and and all yeah. other kinds of things. And there are CBD receptors in the GI tract. I looked at that, but it's it's it does cause your lower esophageal sphincter to open more, so it's probably not good. but uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I don't know what to say on these things. I you know I tell people they'll come in with a whole load of these uh, you know special medicines and supplements and I practice allopathic medicine, I try not to, I try to have an open mind, some of those things may may work or may not, but I just, right. I'm, I'm not really up on all, all that stuff, so some of these honeys have been good, I've, I've, you know, Manuka honey has certain medical and medicinal value, but I'm not, uh, you know, going to say that's the best way to treat your GERD, I think the best way to treat it is to, again, get a pH test and see where you are on the spectrum, if you have really mild GERD, and that's the area, then by all means. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you. So I have a sleeve. Can I get the diff?
1: Uh, yeah, this is a real problem. I see these patients all the time a terrible yeah. reflux. You know that if you didn't have reflux and you had a gastric sleeve, 40% of those patients will go on to get pretty bad reflux. And the reason is because they come up that sleeve and take the fundus and they take these sling fibers that make up part of the valve there. So even if you were doing well beforehand, a good chance you're going to have reflux afterwards. Unfortunately, when they take the fundus, that part of the stomach is what we use to wrap and make things tighter. Uh, so no, it's, right now you really can't have a sleeve. If you have a really kind of dilated stomach, we could do something to kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe get in there and, and, and do a, a type of tiff. But right now... Those patients are a real problem, you can address their uh, hiatal hernias, and right. do these types of things, but it's it's really becoming a big problem. And they really are should be evaluated for reflux before getting the sleeve. And some of these patients have terrible reflux beforehand and they should end up with a, a gastric bypass would be better for them than a sleeve.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, so this one's interesting. Um, this person had their TIFF this morning uh, with no issues during surgery. I'm currently still in the hospital recovering and experiencing extreme nausea. Felt the urge, TMI, she says, vomit twice and dry heat, but nothing came out either time. I was painful and I'm worried. Oh, it was painful and I'm worried I already messed it up. Is this level of nausea normal? Um, and she said she tried to eat a small bite of jello.
1: Yeah, so post-operative nausea and vomiting is, is a real pain on some of these cases. And, and the, the really best thing you can do is avoid it. So, I mean, when you're doing a, a TIF procedure, it's important that you're working with your anesthesiologist, that they get a dose of Zofran before, that they get a dose of Decadron before, that they get the scopolamine patch. And so you do all these things up front to avoid it. Once you get postoperative nausea and vomiting, it's difficult to control. Uh, and it's it's unlikely she tore it all up just by doing some retching. I see a lot of patients will do a little bit of retching and everything's fine. Uh, it's just one of those things you're going to have to go through. It does cause some pain. Uh, particularly, I find people that have a, uh, a straight tip sometimes have more pain than those that have a small hiatal hernia and a tip. I don't know why that is. But oh. I think we have better... Uh, once you take down some of the adhesions, tissue moves better and it's not under as much tension. But uh, postoperative nausea involvement, she should be better, you know, by tomorrow, or the next day. So you just gonna have to go slower and then stick to liquids and make okay. sure she has her Zofran available.
0: Yeah, good point. So um, the next question, which is the best? Uh, let's see, the best effect and ultimate treatment for acid reflux last LES. TIF procedure or Nissen fund application
1: uh yeah so it's it's hard to say I, I still do uh, Nissens but it's usually just for really big hernias big hiatal hernias so okay. um so the best operation is an operation that fixes the problem in a minimally invasive fashion with the least amount of side effects that's the best operation no matter what you're doing so uh, that's why they do cardiac valves with uh, going through a femoral artery now instead of opening your chest. So TIFF's kind of that same way. TIFF allows us to do fundoplications and things we had to do with kind of a lot of intervention. We used to have to do a lot of dissection and this and Nissen does take a lot of dissection. Not everyone has a loose and floppy fundus that they can wrap around the esophagus easily so they, the dysphagia is much more common with that operation. Okay. And gas much more common with that operation. So for for strictly controlling reflux, uh, I think TIPs probably going to be the the least invasive and, and have a good effect. And so it doesn't yeah. burn any bridges later down the line. You can have a NIST in front application. Um once you have a this, and they're hard to redo, I mean basically We give you maybe one more shot after that to redo a Nissen fund application. So, again, always go minimally invasive, least amount of side effects, least amount of surgery.
0: Yeah. Um, So, that's a good point. Um, It's possible um, to do only the hiatal hernia repair first and then wait for it to heal to do the TIF procedure.
1: So do a stage procedure, you can do that. Um, I've done that on people with, that had uh, previous surgeries and things like that. But uh, I think you know if you're there, uh, it's best just to get them both done at the same time. Yeah. But there are you know indications sometimes for doing a, a stage type procedure, so.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: It's, surgeon, but it's generally not what we do. We generally do everything in, in one fell swoop.
0: Yeah, okay um probably we've got a couple more questions here this one's interesting yeah. i had a tiff done almost five years ago and i can't complain until now i had my annual upper gi and they found my twisties i'm assuming <laughs> yeah. um in my esophagus are eroding has anyone else had this or heard of it happening and then what do i do next
1: yeah, I don't know. If, you know, if an upper GI is really the answer to that question. I mean, are you having reflux again? I mean, you should basically have a pH test and have an endoscopy to take a look at what you have and what the wrap looks like. And uh, having reflux again, you could definitely re-tiff these patients if you don't have a hiatal hernia. So I think, you know, sometimes it, the wrap does come undone; it gets loose. We know that happens with Nissans. It happens with anything you do to the stomach. So we know that. Sure. People that have sleeves, they get, you know, they dilate up and they can gain weight again. So, um, but the, but the answer is, I don't, upper GI is just not going to give you enough information there. You know, get a pH study, have someone take a look at that wrap, and see if it needs to be tightened up.
0: Perfect. Thank and, you. Um, I was just talking about everybody, um, uh, staying safe and healthy and doing some social distancing. We actually got a question. Um, that popped up. Um, and I, I know you addressed it when we first started, but there might be some people that didn't jump on until later. And the question was, what can I do while I'm stuck at home, social distancing, um, to try to relieve my GERD symptoms until um, I can go in to see a provider?
1: Yeah, so it's a real problem right now. Um, it's hard to get in to see providers because we're trying to keep people out of hospitals. We do not have the... Uh, protective equipment to do elective procedures even so we can't even do a scope on you and figure out what's going on so this is really tough for everybody to get this point. right okay. so i think that the thing to do is try and make sure you're eating right i mean these are tough times you don't want to get into stress eating right so
0: yeah
1: don't go to potato chips (laughs) sitting on the couch you have to make maintain your exercise regimens um like i said i would i would really try to make yourself robust in case you need you know if you're gonna get hit this thing you want to get hit when you're strong right so if you're at home social distancing you may want to cut down the alcohol, right? You may need your liver to make some acute phase proteins. That'll also decrease the, you know, the GERD. Don't eat too much. Have a regimen where you're eating. If Usually people, when they're at work, they have it, you know, they get a lunch break and that's all they get and stuff. But at home, it's easy. You get bored. You want to go to the refrigerator. So you have to maintain your regimens. Maintain, you know, if you have a, a fasting regimen, maintain that. Don't eat till noon. And right. one day, yeah. watch, watch the alcohol and that's, that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, keep your exercise going. It's nice. Yeah. It's, it's not easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, oh, this is a funny one. I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, someone said I'm on, um, day six post-op coffee. Um, her name is coffee or his or her name. I think coffee so i'm on day six post-op i danced a little too hard last night did i mess up my tiff
1: <laughs> <laughs> too hard. oh my god
0: <laughs> they're happy they're happy with their uh tiff um so
1: yeah so usually we, we consider uh you know, I don't think dancing is that bad, but I think, you know, any lifting or anything like that, anything straining, pushing, pulling, we tell you not to do, not to lift anything over 10, 20 pounds. If you had a hiatal hernia repair, obviously you can't do anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I tell people to get outside. Walking is the best thing for them. I don't think dancing is going to hurt you too much. Uh, so I doubt you messed up your tiff by dancing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what yeah. you were drinking last night, more or less, but the uh, dancing didn't do it for you. Yeah. Tiff can withstand some dancing, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, we need that a little bit for now exactly. with these days, right? Um, so I got another one. Um, would you recommend Tiff for a two to three centimeter hiatal hernia? I'm 38 and in good health and weight. Recent stro- uh, surgeon told me Tiff is for old people <laughs> and That's this true. is the gold standard. I don't know that to be true. Can you chime in?
1: Yeah, so uh, it depends really on your comfort level. I think, uh, why would you say TIF is for old people? I, th- I think TIF is better for, for younger people. I think uh, it's changing the paradigm. What we used to do is just treat people with these medications until they couldn't take anymore, and their hernias were huge. And that by the time they got their 60s and 70s, and then we did a Nissen on them. I, I mean, so uh, I think... We don't like PPIs as much as we used to in the 80s and 90s, when they, they first came out. We thought they were the greatest. Uh, so, I, I think the best thing about a TIF is it doesn't burn any bridges. She has a small hernia, someone like that. I would say. you can just do a small, in small window laparoscopically, put two stitches in the hiatus, increase the intra-abdominal esophageal length, and then get out and do it and do a. A TIP. Yeah. why would you, for a Nissen fundoplication, when we talk about that, that's mobilization of the entire fundus of the stomach, which means cut all those blood vessels, coming close to the spleen, which could cause a splenic injury. You can get bleeding, you can get a perforation of the esoph- esophagus or stomach. And so it's just, it's a little bit more risky. And so if a uh, hiatal hernia and a TIF would control her symptoms for 10, 15, 20 years, uh, then why would you do something more?
0: yeah yeah well can you talk a little bit about also um the the um not side effects but the post op um issues that can come up with nissen versus the TIF procedure because tiff has significantly less post-op
1: yeah so nissen is a, a more aggressive option and, and you know guys that get on the robot nowadays they don't want to stop and get off and do it they're there already so but being there doesn't make that the best operation. The best operation, as I stated earlier, is going to be the one that's the most minimally invasive, the right. least the most side effects, and, and, and the safest operation. And it's hard to say that uh, you, comparing a TIFF to a Nissen, uh, you're going to be bigger side effect profile, bigger adverse events ratio. So, I mean, you get more risks of you, as you bring that device close to the stomach near the spleen that you're dissecting here you use these energy devices that energy can bleed into the stomach you can get a perforation you didn't recognize you right. can injure the spleen you can do all these things that uh that make an otherwise safe operation not so safe now you know you can say that in you know experienced hands that's very uncommon but it can still happen so
0: right
1: I, you know like I said I still do Nissens I think there are some people that need Nissens but a sure. three-centimeter hiatal hernia—that's not one of them. That's not, in, my, in my book, that's, that was someone that needs a, a less invasive option.
0: Right. Get, right. Well, so this gentleman—it's actually a gentleman that asked the question, I believe. Um, he's also in Nevada. He said, and he—he um, he wants to know where he can he see you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. tell him where you're at.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm at uh, I'm at Northern Nevada Medical Center in uh, in Reno. So just you can get a hold of us. Uh, yeah, I think they'll have it on here at the end of where you get a hold of us. So yeah, yeah, that's just that's just too much operation for for that state of disease is yeah. how I feel about it.
0: Yeah, okay. There's a lot of questions, so I'll, maybe I'll do two more questions and then sure. we'll let oh, you go. So okay. we're good. Uh, okay, good. Okay, uh, yeah. And if anyone, if you're good, then um, but so what is the success rate? And I know you answered this a little bit, but um, she's saying um, the success rate of TIF and should I stay on a rep? 40 milligrams for life? <laughs> oh, I think you answered that already, but maybe yeah,
1: you can answer it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, success rate, I think over 80% or 80% is usually the success rate that's quoted to getting you off your PPIs. Uh, I think that's, that's fair. Um, some people will take them on demand uh, and not be on them every day, uh, but that's what I consider the success rate uh, for controlling reflux. You may have s- some reflux down the line uh, years out that may need to be addressed again with a redo procedure or tightening the tiff up or or maybe manage it with some medications as things loosen up over time. Uh, But I mean, I, you know, taking pills every day uh, is just, it's hard to, people don't assess that risk very easily. It's easy to assess the risk of a surgery, right? You walk in there, if everything goes good and you wake up in recovery and everything went well, usually it's not too bad. It's sort of like flying on a plane, right? So it's the plane goes up, you go and it lands, things are good, and there's not a side effect later down the line. Generally, like twenty years from now you're not going to get renal failure or something like that. Right. Whereas when you're taking a medication uh every day, it seems like it's pretty safe. But these things the the risk builds up over time, right? So right. there's a right. famous quantitative guy named Taleb Nassim who talks about That The comparison of that would be like rolling over rocks in the Mojave Desert if I paid you a dollar to roll over rocks for every rock you rolled over. You think that's a pretty good idea until you rolled over one with a Mojave green rattlesnake under it, and then it bites you and you die. So so it, it seems like it's a good idea every day until you get renal failure or you get a terrible infection. Or you get, you know, osteoporosis and break your hip, or these things. So it's hard right. to assess that long-term risk uh, in that case. Whereas surgery is an easier thing for people to understand that kind yeah. of risk.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so Coffee asks, um, what is the most effective between EV, Lynx, and Tiff?
1: EV? What's he talking about? EV? So Links and Tiff. Lynx is a. Uh, a bracelet that goes around the esophagus it's becoming less popular uh it is associated with um, sometimes significant dysphagia and there is a not an insignificant rate of taking those things off at which point you're back to where you were you don't have a reflux operation and and so there are guys doing them i took the course i never really Felt that that was a great idea, putting a foreign body around the esophagus, so that is one of the uh, problems. It is a foreign body on the esophagus, the risk of erosion, the risk of scarring, risk of trouble swallowing afterwards. There are some people that have great results with it, though, so I'm not going to say it's not the way to go. The TIF uses your own tissue to create the wrap, so there's no foreign body and you put these little fasteners in that are like proline sutures. We've used proline forever. And it's, uh, it's it's minimally invasive. The serious adverse event ratio is less than 0.5%. It's really a safe procedure. So I, I prefer that. I prefer using native tissue as opposed to implants or metal implants in that region, particularly.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So he said EV is a, esophage- I think you brought it up earlier, the esophageal vulvoplasty that obvio- you talked about.
1: Yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah. So there's no, that's kind of a, Thing where they're kind of getting stitches in there and doing things but it's not as so a tiff procedure is a very regimented procedure that i mean when you when i teach the TIF course we teach it and and how to do it it's very safe and it's it's, it's very regimented in how you do it so everyone's kind of doing it the same a valvuloplasty with stitches and things going to be kind of an artistic approach by the uh Version doing it. So it's just not that much out there on, ba- on these backyroplasties if you're using an endo stitch to create it uh, or these other things. TIFF, uh, again, has been out for a much longer time. Uh, it is fairly standard approach to how we do it. The uh, learning curve on it is fairly low, particularly compared to a Nissen. So we have some data that about 23 of these operations, you do 23 TIFFs. And you're pretty good. Your wraps are good and your, you know, your times to doing them are good. So, um, yes, a valvuloplasty is just a little bit, like I said, it's kind of an artistic thing based on what the surgeon is doing and what you're accomplishing. It's hard for me to comment on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. So, um, the last thing I wanted to do talk about is, um, next month, April is esophageal cancer awareness month. Um, and I thought maybe that you could, um, maybe give a little, um, insight, uh, to those that potentially have a loved one or someone, or they they themselves might be at risk. Um, uh, what are the things that they can do, um, to help in that situation or to
1: yeah, so for it's awareness? Is a, a really tough disease. It's a, it's a really bad cancer. And uh, it doesn't give you too many signs or symptoms it's happening. By time it presents, it's usually with uh, dysphagia or trouble swallowing. You'll see someone tapping their chest at, at the dinner table. Uh, we know that the, the demographic on that are white males, obese uh, and, and they have hiatal hernias, right? So those patients tend to be the ones that get this disease, a precursor disease to it. It's called Barrett's esophagus. Right. So that's what we want to do. We want to find the people with Barrett's and put them in a screening program so we can, we can pick it up earlier. And so right. we know that just like colon cancer, we're seeing uh, Barrett's at an earlier age, right? So just this year, American Cancer Society recommend getting your colonoscopy at age 45 50, because a younger population is getting their cancers earlier. And we're seeing that with Barrett's esophagus too. Barrett's uh, at an index endoscopy is becoming much more frequent. So, if you're a white male generally and you're getting a colonoscopy and you've had reflux for over five years, recommendation that you get an upper endoscopy at the same time. So, you can be evaluated to see if you have Barrett's and you can be put into a screening program to be followed. Uh, again, it's just one of those things where they they have techniques where you can burn off this Barrett's. You can do endoscopic mucosal resections, endoscopic submucosal dissections. There's all kinds of newer technology to treat Barrett's and Barrett's dysplasia, and it never gets to cancer. And that's got to be our goal. It's got to be our goal to not let it get to cancer because once right. it gets to cancer, it's really hard to cure. has a very high mortality rate, and it's it's just a, a brutal cancer. So. I would say, that you know, get screened is yep. the most important thing. If, you, if you've if you been on these pills for a long time, you've had a reflux for a long time, even if it's under control, you have good symptom control. Don't assume something's not happening at a cellular level. And the only way you can assess that is with endoscopy.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Murray. I appreciate that. Um, we We do we're getting a lot more questions. So um, I'm not going to keep you at much longer, but what I will do is um, we will try and answer um, the questions that are coming up um, online for them.
1: Um,
0: So, um, but I do want to thank everybody for joining us today. And um, we plan on, on doing more TIF talks maybe uh, at least once a month and answer your questions. So um, please follow our GerdHelp.com page Um, so you can learn more about the TIF procedure and your GERD symptoms and how to treat those and how to, um, keep yourself aware. And then also you can visit, um, our GERDhelp.com, um, website where you can find physicians. I I see a lot of questions coming up, um, asking where can I find a physician near me? So our, uh, GERDhelp.com website has a physician finder where you can find a physician that's located near you. Um, And you can potentially reach out to them and and get screened, as Dr. Murray would say. So, Dr. Murray, I can't thank you enough again um, for joining us today. We appreciate it. And um, stay safe, everybody out there. And um, yeah, yeah, stay safe and healthy. And thank you again for joining us today. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERD Help mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tiff Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD help. Live well, GERD free.